Hello everyone, welcome to the November 2020 podcast. I'm delighted you decided to spend the next half an hour in my company. Now back in 1975, the Home Counties Magical Society, which is, for those of you who don't know, is based in Reading in Berkshire, started a day dedicated entirely to young magicians. It was called the Reading Junior Day. It was open to magicians aged 10 to 18 and it was basically set up in order to give young people an opportunity to not only mix together with magicians of their own age but also to go in for competitions. There was a stage competition and a close-up competition thereby giving the youngsters a purpose to practicing magic, giving them a goal to aim for. And quite a few quite ultimately famous magicians passed through the Junior Magic Day on their way to stardom. Now, it got to the year 2000 after a quarter of a century of doing this. Keith Churcher and others of his uh, faithful team of organisers decided that they'd really probably had enough of it by now. And uh, so it looked like the whole event was going to simply stop and it would be lost. However, fortunately... Four years previously, in 1996, the Magic Circle had set up its Young Magicians Club. And so they took over the running of the Junior Day and made it part of their roster of things that their members could attend. They already did workshops and they have a magazine which goes out to members. And now they were able to add, as they call it, J-Day, Junior Day, J-Day. They were able to add that to the things that members could take advantage of. And I think it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And every year, lots of the youngsters get together and have a fantastic day. October the 25th this year would have been the time when the latest J-Day would have taken place. But as we know, coronavirus has put pay to so many live events. And of course, the Young Magicians Club, they too weren't able to hold their event. But rather than just say, OK, well, we won't do it this year. Um, I thought rather ambitiously, they decided to do the whole thing on Zoom and to provide lectures to provide an interview to provide dealer dems uh, recorded uh, uh, sort of footage from previous events and more and to try and bring all that together over an eight hour period on a Sunday well I think it was ambitious but I'm glad to say it was a very big success they got nearly a hundred of their members to come along and enjoy the day and considering how long the day was, I was amazed at how many of these kids, basically pretty much all of them, stayed for the whole thing. It was really, really good. What was quite funny, though, in the in Zoom chat, there was obviously comments about the magic. But then every now and again, somebody would pipe up with, uh, am I allowed to go to the toilet? Or uh, can I stop watching and go and eat something? I'm hungry. It was uh, it was funny they because they'd been told, well, you know, when you're watching a live event, you've got to keep your video on and you've got to pay attention and all the rest of it. And some of them took it really, really to heart and really didn't think that they could actually leave leave uh, away from their computer in order to go to the toilet, which I thought was quite funny. But it was a a, a tremendous success. And uh, I was one of the judges who uh, judged the competition. There were eight acts and it was a mixture. Whereas in the old days, they used to have a separate stage and close-up. Now they combine the two and basically the, the kids can do whatever suits them, if it's parlour or a stagey type of magic or if it's close-up. And in fact, interestingly, there was a mixture amongst the eight contestants and the standard was, was satisfyingly high. 
Uh, and we, we actually, the team of judges, we, we had quite a problem making a definite one, two, three. In fact, we had to go one, two, and the third place we gave split between two people because we just couldn't split them up. So it was a great day. And I, I think a lot of credit must go to Kevin Doig and others who took on the responsibility of trying to grapple with the technology. And it isn't easy. Although Zoom, in essence, as we all know, is relatively simple when you're trying to run pre-recorded stuff alongside and put on music tracks and coordinate speakers and lecturers from far-flung corners of the earth. It, it isn't easy. But uh, I thought it was a great success and clearly the kids enjoyed it, otherwise they wouldn't have stayed. So uh, it's great that it went ahead and that they didn't just say, oh, look, we won't bother this year. Because I think you, you do lose momentum. And if you don't keep things going in this time when we can't do them in the normal way, if and when hopefully we do get back to being able to do it properly, all the people may have drifted off and not be interested anymore. So I think this sort of virtual event was a really important thing for them to do. When I'm preparing to record these podcasts, I usually what I do is I have a, a pad of paper on my desk and during the month leading up to the time when I'm going to do the recording, if an idea occurs to me of something that I could talk about, if I read something or I see something, then I just I jot it down. I don't script this, as you can probably tell from the way this is done. The idea is it's meant to be a chat. It's not meant to be me reading out some script. So I don't script it, but I think about what I'm going to talk about. And as I say, I make these bullet points just so that I can obviously have something to, to grip onto when I'm talking to you. Um, so it's kind of interesting that one of the topics that I wanted to talk about this month, and which I'd already written down on my pad, is to do with the way that magic these days has become very instant gratification, that we don't tend to wait very much for things anymore. And we don't anticipate something happening. We want it now, now, now. And and the reason I say it's interesting that, that this that I've got this topic is because in the junior day that I was just talking about a few moments ago, they had an interview. Noel Britton did an interview with Max Maven. And funnily enough, this topic came up and, and Max was talking about this. And he said exactly the same thing, that these days magicians seem to want everything instantly. Now, on the one on one level, it's actually it's OK. I mean, my whole business now is based on instant gratification in a way because all my products are downloads. So if it's a half past 11 at night and you happen to be on my website and you see something that you like, you can immediately buy it. And within seconds, you're studying it. So in, in that sense, we have become very much. Oh, I like that. I'll have it now. And when I think and I compare that to the way things used to be. When I was first starting out as a magic dealer way back in 1980, then I realised that in those days I would attend two main conventions a year, Blackpool in February and the IBM British Ring Convention in usually in September. And I would bring out new tricks, two or three, four tricks sometimes, at each of those for those to coincide with going to these conventions and make a big splash. And, and a lot of the dealers, in fact, most of the dealers tended to do this. You, you might occasionally bring something out in the rest of the year, but generally speaking, you made a big hurrah at one of the major conventions. You compare that to now when instead of people rushing into the dealer hall saying, right, what you got that's new? 
they already know what's new because all the dealers we all we all just release things as and when they're ready and some dealers are virtually bringing your attention to new things almost every single day so there's there's never any feeling of anticipation occasionally a big book perhaps or some other major trick normally books but occasionally with tricks will be flagged up it's coming and people then get a little bit excited but it doesn't generally work like that you know with newsletters online uh, websites and everything else being able to instantly put up information about new stuff then all that anticipation has gone and when, when I think about even things as simple as Abra magazine I, I used to love every week on either a Friday or a Saturday morning I used to rush to the to the to the front door to look for that little brown envelope lying on the mat so I could get my magical fix of, of news and, and, other, and adverts and other bits of information. And I advertised my business in it for years, for decades, all the time that it, from around about the 19, early 1980s onwards until it finished. And um, that anticipation that I can remember when that magazine arrived, again, you, you don't get that with a great deal now, which is kind of a, a pity in a way. And maybe this then permeates through to other things, our impatience to get a new trick up and ready to perform. Perhaps a lot of us are not prepared to work at it as long. You know, we, we, we bought it instantly. We want to go immediately out and do it, perhaps. And maybe that's not a good thing either, that we're becoming impatient in all aspects of our magical lives and perhaps not putting quite as much effort, time, thought, but particularly time, into it than we might have done years ago maybe i'm wrong about that it's just i just get a general impression that that is the way things are and that with social media and everything else being very much very instant very quick and then move on to the next thing maybe we are losing a little bit of the the finer points of developing magic into something a bit more substantial because i'm able to read german i'm able to enjoy magischer Welt, which is a German magic magazine published by Wittes Witt. And um, Magischer Welt is it's an interesting magazine. Obviously, it's aimed at German-speaking people because it's in German. Um, and it has, it has quite a, a serious tone in some way. It's not a bundle of laughs, but it is very well produced. In fact, it's beautifully produced, really. And the articles in it are often quite meaty um, they take on ta and tackle some interesting issues uh, and I do enjoy reading it it's uh, it it's gives you food for thought and I was looking at the latest issue um, a couple of days ago and um, there was an, an article by um, Eric Eswin he of um, the who was the president of FISM and he was writing about magic societies and the effect that the coronavirus has had on magic clubs and the way that things are changing. And he, he was talking about various things that we take for granted, um, truisms of magic, if you like. And he was asking, he was just challenging them and just saying, should we be thinking about these? And one of them was about magic clubs. And... One of them was, he said, magic clubs are very 
uh, in fact, in the constitution of just about every magic club on the planet, it says you mustn't, members must not give away the secrets of our art to the lay public. And that, you know, anybody, there were various punishments for those who, who do transgress. They could be thrown out or various other things might be done to them, hung, drawn and quartered, perhaps. And uh, he was saying, playing devil's advocate, and was saying, well, does it actually matter that much? Because there's so much magic freely available to anybody who has got half a mind on the internet to go and find out how tricks are done, if that's what they want to do. So, the, and the, the way that we try to protect the secrets, we're actually giving the secrets themselves more importance than perhaps they should be given, because we all know, as magicians that knowing how a trick is done is only a very small part. The bigger part is, does it turn into something when it's performed that's entertaining, engaging, funny? You know, there's a lot more to it. All the presentation and other bits and pieces that go towards making it worth watching is so much more than just how is it done. And so for Magic Clubs to centre on saying to members, you mustn't give away the secret, all right, the lay people might be, you know, sort of obsessed with secrets, but should we be? Because there are so many different ways to skin a cat anyway, aren't there? There are so many different ways to do any magic effect virtually that you mention. And when television programmes purport to give away how a trick is done, well, they're not really, are they? They're giving away one method, perhaps, for how it's done, but they're not saying every single method in the world. And in any case, when we magicians put a good spin or a good presentation on the trick, then half the time, even if the spectators knew how it was done, they wouldn't recognise it in the first place. So I thought this was really interesting that he that he was prepared to... He wasn't saying that we should go, everybody should go around telling everybody how it's done, because, yes, obviously, magic has got a mystique about it. But I think what his point was that we magic clubs in particular don't need to be quite so precious about the way their members behave because the secret is not the sum total of what magic is and to try and make them feel that it is is perhaps sending out the wrong message and I think he has a has quite a good point I've often thought that um, that lay people knowing how something is done does not necessarily destroy what you do if you do it well because, as I say, they won't recognise it in the, the method. And they're not even thinking about method most of the time. And if the only thing they are thinking about is the method, then maybe there's something wrong with your presentation. In my August podcast, I was talking a bit about the onset of Zoom magic shows and magic lectures. Um, magicians have never been slow in coming forward when there's new technology that they feel can be used and of course with us un being unable to do any live shows taking to the uh, internet in order to do zoom type presentations is the obvious way for us to go there are restrictions and limitations but nevertheless it's better than not being there at all and I've been watching one or two of the the lectures that have been presented to magic clubs and what's interesting is I've noticed that gradually the, the lecturers themselves are starting to offer material that is specifically targeted at people who want to do Zoom magic. Because rather like television magicians, I suppose, television magicians have always been able to use the part of, the, if you like, 
the event that you can't see. You know, a camera will only show you a certain amount. And what's to the right above, below and to the left that you it's just out of shot, in other words, those areas can sometimes be used to help with the method. And the same is true by clever use of cameras when doing a Zoom lecture or presentation. You can use those areas that people can't see in order to create fooling methods. It's not camera trickery, it's just using, it's like having a proscenium arch. If you're on a stage in the proscenium arch arrangement, what's in the wings or what's a trapdoor in the floor, these things can help you. And they're simply using the medium effectively. And of course, with Zoom entertainment, the same thing is true. So it's kind of started now to create this whole new area of magic that prior to this lockdown that just did simply didn't exist. Television magicians, yes. Other than that, for the rest of us, we never had any thought about regularly trying to entertain um, through the medium of a camera. And so it's created this, in the same way we have children's magic and we have street magic. I'm not quite sure what that's supposed to be for. It's in the street, but when does anybody perform that often in the streets? I don't know. Um, and then obviously, you know, stand up and mentalism and dealers always classify tricks to put them into into certain interest sets so that anyone who's interested in let's say close-up magic they've put all the close-up tricks together so that that a person can easily find all the things he might be interested in well now we're getting to the point where suitable for zoom is becoming a and i think will increasingly if this continues will become a very real section of magical endeavor in itself and you'll be able to go to magic dealers and you'll say oh i'm looking for some some zoom magic and they'll say oh yes we've got this and this and this and this and this all suitable for zoom now of course some effects are suitable for live and for zoom and john armstrong whose lecture i've seen a couple of times recently he he's he showed a couple of effects where he said at the moment this is how i'm presenting it for zoom but this is how I will present it when I go live. And he, he showed the slight differences in method and also presentation. So that is another way that things are becoming more um, versatile. People are using the, the Zoom medium in one way, but then taking that trick and adapting it back to the live performance once the Zoom is no longer needed. It's fascinating, isn't it, really, that, that out of something that is so disastrous something actually quite positive is coming. People are getting creative with, with the principle of entertaining via the internet and on Zoom. And it is different because Zoom, the thing that Zoom has over just pre-recording something and, and banging it out on YouTube is, of course, the interactive nature. And those people who are able to interact effectively with the people on the other side of the screen, as it were, they are really genuinely using the Zoom facility in the best possible way and skillful use of that not only uh, can improve the magic but it will also make it much more engaging and more involving for the people who are watching and I think that's the challenge I think it's not just to get the tricks so that people can understand them and see them but to get tricks which people will zoom tricks which people will really feel that they've involved, been involved with in the same way as they might do if they saw it live. We're currently having some decorating done at home 
and there's a couple of guys who are doing the work for us and one of them in particular is very interested in magic obviously he knows what I do so he takes any break that he has an opportunity to talk to me about magic and try and get some insights into what it's like being a magician and I do find sometimes these conversations are quite illuminating because when you get to chat to somebody more than just for a few moments when you really get into quite a lengthy conversation about magic you start to understand more about how magic is seen by people who know nothing about magic what it is that they find interesting or fascinating what intrigues them and some of the things that he was saying to me recently were were, were very interesting i thought for instance he he was talking about dynamo and he was trying to describe to me some of the tricks that he'd seen dynamo do the first thing that was interesting about this and this is a common experience i think that all we all have when we listen to a layperson trying to describe a trick they can never remember it can they this is why tricks that are that have very clear plot lines are more likely to be remembered than others and he was trying to describe this particular trick he said oh and then he did this and uh oh or was it um and he couldn't oh well i don't know well just cut to the chase the phone ended up in the in the in the display cabinet so whether he'd got several tricks mixed up or whatever it was it didn't matter but the point he was trying to make was to me at the time was he said i have absolutely no idea how that ever could be possible and then he said something very revealing he said now i can understand how you guys can do things through sleight of hand or through quickness or he said i i can understand how you might be able to do it through distracting you know you, you make me look over here and and you're doing stuff over there i can understand how that might be but this particular trick you you couldn't do it in any of those ways as far as i can see so i have absolutely no concept of how this is possible how does he do something like this so this is interesting don't you think you see because he couldn't come up with even a far fetched reason for or explanation for how the trick was done it became for him a total miracle even though the method might have been something incredibly simple at our level because he doesn't have the terms of reference that we do in and to understand how tricks are created and the various principles that are used to him it was utterly and completely unfathomable so when we're creating tricks and we're coming up with methods for for, for lay people to uh, to see it's kind of worth having having that in the back of your mind really isn't it what possible explanation you might think to yourself would a lay person perhaps put onto this effect what's the likely outcome of them seeing this trick what are they likely to think is the method and if they can come up with a likely method well it must be a this that or the other or you must be using then it might be an idea to have another think about the method or in the presentation to kind of shut the door on the potential for that particular method in their mind and a simple example might be you might think oh well that coin's disappeared they may think it just went up my sleeve 
So just before you do it, you roll back your sleeves. You don't mention, you don't say anything, but you just roll back your sleeves and then you do the coin vanish. Now, because you've thought about it a little bit, now they think, well, it, I don't understand how this is possible, the decorator guy might say to me, because it couldn't have gone up your sleeve. So I have no concept of how that coin has disappeared. So it's I, I do like talking to lay people, I say, at length, because you, you do find out some things and it's and it's worth having the conversation because then and then thinking back about your own tricks and thinking to yourself, are my tricks unfathomable? And if they're not, and if they can come up with any any type of explanation, can I plug those gaps in order to create the strongest magic possible and therefore hopefully impress the people who watch? So the phone rings and I answer it and it's my agent. And following the pleasantries of such things as how are you uh, and are you doing any work? Well, I'm fine and no, I'm not is the short answer to all of that. I knew why he'd rung because I only had one show left this year and that was New Year's Eve. And he was the agent who'd put me in there. And he was ringing, of course, say, well, as you probably imagine, Mark, he said, uh, New Year's Eve, I'm afraid they've cancelled. They're not having their normal New Year's Eve party. Now, I go every year to this lovely hotel near Warminster and it's a fantastic place to work. And I really love doing the magic there. And uh, this year, for the first time in many years, they're not having any event at all. They simply can't. So they've cancelled it. So it's, you know, it's it's not a surprise, is it? As I say, all the other shows I've had have either been cancelled or postponed. So why should that one survive? However, it did lead me to think all the magicians who would normally at this time of year be starting to anticipate the heavy run of shows in December and possibly already mentally spending the money, perhaps, that they're going to be making in December. What are we all going to be doing in December this year? Because one thing's for sure, not many of us are going to be doing any magic entertainment. Not for money, anyway. And so it leads you to think, well, firstly, what are the financial implications of that? Because if December is the, the most profitable month in the year, particularly, I suspect, perhaps for semi-pros, that's the time when they do more shows one after the other than they do at any other time of the year. What, what are you going to do without the money? Do you rely on that money? And secondly, just what you're going to do with yourself. It's going to feel very strange, isn't it? To think that here we are, perhaps in a couple of months time, we're going to be in the middle of December and you're not going to be getting yourself ready for the 20th show that month or whatever. I suppose it will lead us to reappreciate Christmas. In some ways, our wives, girlfriends, partners or whatever will be saying, ah, now this year you can help me get stuff ready for Christmas. You know, none of this bunking off and doing magic shows at all times of the day and night. You can actually lend a hand for a, ch for a change. And maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it'll, it'll make us realise just what the rest of the family goes through when we're not there. Maybe we'll suddenly realise how much fun it is having being able to perhaps socialise with a few friends, maybe. Socially distanced, of course. Maybe just being able to relax in December, not having to get in the car and fight the elements on a dark, wet, 
cold night when it's pouring rain you know you don't always want to go out and do a show do you right once you get there but the thought of getting in the car and fighting the traffic and fighting the darkness and everything else it's not attractive is it and then the worries that we have about oh god is that snow is that really going to be snowing tomorrow i've got that got to go all that way up to to wherever to do a big gig I really can't afford for it to snow. And then you, you spend half the night awake worrying about what the weather's doing, looking at your phone every couple of hours to see if it's snowing yet. All these all these things are suddenly going to be taken away. And you know what? Although the, the money, the, the lack of money is going to be a real punch in the gut, everything else about it actually might be quite nice. And we may go, do you know what? I, I can put my feet up. I'm going to watch the telly. I'm going to have a... A glass of beer or whatever I don't have to go out I don't have to do a kids show at nine o'clock in the morning and another one at 12 and something mid-afternoon and then be out doing a close-up gig in the evening I don't have to do any of that because it simply isn't there and you might find it's rather relaxing now I'm not suggesting that we want this to go on forever and I'm hoping as I'm sure everybody is that next year we at least by next Christmas, surely things will have returned to some semblance of normality and we will hopefully be out doing gigs again. But perhaps for this year, since we won't be able to do that very much, why not just instead of moaning about it, just relax into it and actually enjoy it. And for once be around for our loved ones to, to spend some good sociable time with. Well, there we are. That's another podcast done. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the various things I've talked about. Have a great month and I will look forward to seeing you all in December. Bye for now.